Well, if you'd like to open up your Bibles, we're going to be looking this morning at uh, the next in our series in 2 Corinthians, and we're looking at chapter 6, verses 1 through to 13 as the reading, but I'll only be focusing on the last three verses, 11 through to 13 this morning. If you'd like to, if you've got your Bibles there, turn with me, otherwise you can follow along with me behind, uh, behind me, I'm oh, sorry, off the sides on the screen. <laughs> Going to take a bit of getting used to, isn't it, hey? But uh, hopefully it will make uh, things a bit more visible for people. It's, uh, with the screen only in the one place, we had a number of people sort of saying it was very, getting very, very hard to see it, especially towards the back of the church. So we've, got the, uh, we've moved it to either side, and hopefully that's going to be a lot clearer for, uh, for everyone as we move ahead. 2 Corinthians 6, beginning at verse 1. Working together with him, then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says... In a favourable time I listened to you, and in a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favourable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. We put no obstacle in anyone's way, so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God we commend ourselves in every way, by great endurance, in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labours, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech and the power of God, with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, through honour and dishonour, through slander and praise. We are treated as impostors and yet are true, as unknown and yet well known, as dying and behold we live, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing, yet possessing everything. We've spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own affections. In return, I speak as to children, widen your hearts also. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you this morning again for your incredible grace and love towards us, displayed so wonderfully through the Lord Jesus Christ, through his life, death and resurrection. We thank you this morning that as we meet together here in this place, that we know that you are here with us. Lord, your desire is for us to walk with you day by day in fellowship being guided by your Holy Spirit and through your word. We want to pray this morning that as we uh, spend time just pondering on just a few verses of this passage this morning, this whole aspect of what it means to have hearts that are wide open, Lord, help us to see first and foremost your heart wide open to us. And may that inspire us 
to have hearts wide open to those around about us, but most significantly to you today. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Hans Christian Andersen wrote a book many, many years ago called The Little Mermaid, which Disney made into a film. Some of you might be very familiar with it. The story is about a, uh, a mermaid called Ariel who rescues a sailor from a shipwreck. And, uh, and as she rescues him, she falls in love with him. But in the original fairy tale, the, uh, this, uh, this uh, little mermaid, Ariel, gives up her voice and exchanges her tail in order for uh, a pair of legs and feet so that she can actually go and, uh, and live in that land above the sea, that she can pursue this, this, this man, who, this, this handsome young man that she's fallen in love with. And, uh, but it costs her an awful lot. I mean, just the fact that she gave up her beautiful voice. Her singing voice was renowned, apparently. It was a, a beautiful voice. The voice of an angel. So uh, I think uh, um, it, uh, some uh, people have sort of commented on in terms of the story. But also in giving up her, uh, her voice, she was, you know, in order to get this uh, tail and legs, it meant that as she walked around, she was kind of walking around with great pain and great suffering because it was like walking on knives, all in an effort to win this guy's affections. Crazy girl. The sad part is, is that he doesn't even recognise her. He doesn't even give her a second look, a second glance. Because he has eyes for someone else. Poor Ariel. Now in the Disney version, which is the happy ending, she gets the guy. But of course in Hans Christian Andersen's original novel, she doesn't. In fact, that her love continues to go completely unrequited. It was never, ever reciprocated. Hmm. Love that goes unreciprocated. A love that is so deep and so incredibly uh, powerful and yet is never, ever returned in like kind. It can be really hurtful, can't it? It can be incredibly hurtful. In a sense, that's what these verses in Second Corinthians chapter six, particularly verses eleven to thirteen, which I'm going to be focusing on today in our in our in our message, it's really talking about this love that has been displayed by by people towards the the, the, the believers in Corinth, the Corinthian Christians, the church, and yet they themselves have not reciprocated that same love in kind. See, the Apostle Paul had sacrificed an incredible amount for this particular church. He had been the one whom God had used in order to, uh, to first go to, uh, to this place and to preach the gospel. And through his, through his preaching, people came to faith in Jesus Christ. Paul had gone to incredible lengths in order to be used by God, to be God's instrument of, of bringing about people coming into the kingdom of God, of people who are being saved. So in essence, they were his spiritual children. And Paul was more than happy to do that. He was more than happy to serve God in whatever way that God had, de- had, had desired for, for Paul to be used. And he'd done it in, and, and he'd gone to the, to the uh, Christians in Corinth and had preached them. It wasn't, it wasn't an easy job to do. 
going into a strange city, a cosmopolitan city, a city where there was lots of religions and lots of idols and, and people who were living them lives for themselves. He'd gone in there and he'd stood up for Christ and he'd boldly proclaimed the gospel of Jesus Christ into this situation and had seen people come to faith. For Paul, any sacrifice for Jesus was worth it. Any sacrifice for Jesus was worth it. His love was not only motivated, though, by this love that, uh, the, 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 sorry, his love for Christ, but it was also motivated by love for the people. See, as Paul looked at these faces there in Corinth, as he, had, he looked at these, these people, he looked beyond the faces, he looked beyond the, the figures that sort of stood beyond, and he saw people, he saw human beings. He saw people who were desperately enslaved to sin. He saw people who were desperately enslaved to their own desires and, their, and, and gratifying their own desires and their own hearts, you know, yearnings and things like that. He looked beyond, he saw through that and saw people who were, who were desperately in need of coming into a living relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And so Paul says that he and his fellow worker Timothy, their hearts were wide open. He says, we've spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open to you. In other words, their hearts were enlarged towards them. Their hearts were, you know, Paul had, had, had opened up his heart to make room for these people in his life. As did Timothy, his helper. There was so much affection that Paul had for these people because here were people who were loved by God. And because they were loved by God, Paul knew that, they had to, that he had to show that same love to them as well. It's quite amazing when you think about the kind of love that the Apostle Paul and his fellow worker Timothy had for the Corinthian church, particularly in light of the amount of rubbish that the Corinthians actually gave to Paul, the amount of heartache and the amount of, of rejection and, and, uh, and, and opposition that, that, that they received from these, from these people in this church. Having planted the church, having given so much of his life and his effort and his energy, his blood, sweat and tears to seeing these people come to a saving faith in Jesus Christ and, to be, and start to be you know, nurtured and encouraged on that, on that journey of faith, that walk of faith with Jesus Christ, these people had then turned and, you know, turned in opposition to Paul. And instead of showing love, they showed anger and resentment and, 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 they, and they said hurtful things about Paul. And they criticized him and they criticized his ministry. We see that Paul and Timothy, although their love was unrestricted towards the Corinthian church, they see that their love was not being returned in like kind. For it goes on to say in verse 12, you are not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own affections, your own affections toward us. You have been restricted in your own affections. How heartbreaking. How heartbreaking for Paul and Timothy 
to have given so much of themselves for these people and then to be turned on. To having opened up their hearts so wide to these people and yet these people restricted instead their hearts toward Paul and Timothy. All they received was rejection. All they received was was that, uh, that animosity towards them. They were restricted in their affections. That word restricted is quite a, uh, an interesting word when you sort of start to think about it. And to restrict is to, is, to, is, to, is to really, really confine, isn't it? You know, to choke, to pull back from, to prevent. And this is what the Corinthians were doing with their hearts. They were, they were choking off the, the, any kind of love that they might have for Paul and Timothy. They were, they were preventing themselves from having any, showing any kind of affection or any kind of, of a warm embrace and, uh, and, and taking Paul and Timothy into their own hearts and into their own lives. Have you ever been in Paul and Timothy's shoes before? I know some of you have. Because I've had some conversations with you about the intense hurt and pain and sadness that you have felt because of the love that you have showed to others and yet that love has not been returned in kind. We've all got stories of showing love to people around about us. And instead of receiving love back, all we've received is rejection and animosity and hurt and pain. You think, just ponder on those thoughts for a moment. Ponder on those effects, those those emotions right now. That you may, that may very be, might just be, just, this just there under the surface. And as we start to talk about this sort of thing, they start to come to the surface. And that pain starts to well up in your throat. And it starts to get there in the pit of your stomach. And it's not pleasant, is it? It's not pleasant at all. It hurts being pushed to the outer. It hurts when people reject us and refuse us. When they push us to the outer instead of embracing us and bringing us in. What was Paul's response? Well, it was simply this in verse 13. He says, in return... I speak to you as children, my children, my spiritual children, people whom I love. Widen your hearts also. There's this deep exhortation. Can you hear the pleading in Paul's voice? Where he says to the Corinthians, we've widened our hearts to you. Please widen also your hearts to us. Embrace us and take us in with that same affection that we have for you. 
Because that is God's purpose for us as his church, as his people. Make room in your heart. Show the same love for us as we have for you. And the challenge that I want us to, to focus on this morning is this, is, is to ask us each and each and every one of us this morning, how wide are our hearts? How wide is your heart? How willing to embrace those around about you? How to open your heart up so wide that it is enlarged towards the people here in this, in this community of faith here at North Pine Baptist Church, but also to the community of people around about us. Because it's no different for us today as believers living in this, in, in this particular point in time as it was for the Apostle Paul living back in his day. As we walk out there into our community each day, the same kind of challenges, the same kind of issues, the same kind of circumstances face us that, they, that, that, that the Apostle Paul faced in his day. And the people that are out there as well as the people who are in here, they're not just faces. But they're human beings with emotions and hurts. They're human beings that are, try- that are struggling to just to, you know, keep, sometimes keep their heads just above the water in all of the struggles and all of the hardships and things that they're going through in their lives. But most significantly, as well as in here as out there, there are people who do not yet know Jesus Christ as their saviour, who are, who are lost in darkness. People who are enslaved to their sin and to, the, and to satisfying those desires within them, not realising that that kind of, you know, trying to, to go after and, and satisfy those desires and those, those, those yearnings within our hearts are actually leading them to on a path of destruction, to eternal destruction. When you look at another human being, you don't just see a face, you don't just see an outward person, but you see another human being just like you and just like me. And that's how we need to start seeing people, folks. Not just the faces. We need to look beyond the faces. We need to look beyond the, the surface things and we need to look, we need to look to the spiritual realities of our world today. We need to look beyond, we need to look beyond to the spiritual realities of what's going on in those people's hearts and in their lives. In our own hearts and lives today. I asked the question again. How wide is your heart? How wide is it? How open is it to the, to, to, to the love that God has for you and for the love that God wants to show and demonstrate through you to our world around about us today? Because love is the foundational principle of the Christian life. If you haven't already guessed that yet, let me give you the tip. Love is the foundational principle of Christian life. It is the defining characteristic of a true and genuine discipleship. John chapter 13, verses 34 to 35, Jesus says this. He says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. And by this... By that love that you have for one another, will people know that you are my disciples. 
Is that the kind of love that we exhibit in our lives? That as people look at us and they see the example, they see that love worked out in practical ways in our life, are people able to say, you know what, that person is a follower of Jesus Christ because of the incredible love that they have for people around about them? Can that be said about you this morning? Paul says something similar writing to the church in Ephesus in, in Ephesians chapter 5, 1 to 2, where he says, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And again, in Romans chapter 12, verse 10, Paul says, Love one another with brotherly affection. And he goes on to say, Outdo one another in that and in showing honour to one another. So in these passages, we start to see, we start to begin to see just what this love is like. It is a, it's a sacrificial love, a love that is like Christ's. Did you pick that up in those verses? Jesus says, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. In other words, Jesus says, I've set you the example. Of course, that passage comes just after Jesus has washed his disciples' feet. An incredible act of humility. An incredible display of love for his disciples. But of course, he was just about to go to the cross and give the ultimate demonstration of love in giving his life, of laying down his life for the world that we might be redeemed and might be brought back into a right relationship with God. See, that's the kind of genuine Christian love that we are to model. It is a sacrificial love, a love that thinks beyond our own needs and beyond our own desires and beyond our own hearts, in fact, to the needs of those around about us. That genuine Christian love is also described for us in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 to 6. Let me just read you, to, uh, to read you those verses very, very quickly. You've only got to flip back a couple of pages in your Bible if you want to follow along. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4 to 6 says, Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Paul says, you want to know what love looks like? Here it is in practice. Paul is speaking about things which are all about behavior in these verses. Everything has to do with how we act. He said love is patient. In other words, it's long-suffering. It puts up. For long, you know, just continues to put up with people. Speaks of, a, of an endurance in patience. An endurance uh, that, 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 speak, that, that, that puts up with suffering and, 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 and in fact taking personal injury ourselves without retaliating. Matthew Henry, the famous commentator, says this about being love being patient he says love can endure evil injury and provocation without being filled with resentment indignation or revenge that's a challenge isn't it 
Love is patient. Love is kind, meaning that it seeks to pay back with kindness what is often received with in hurt. Love doesn't envy. It's not jealous. There's a lot of jealousy in our church, particularly when Paul wrote to the Corinthians, there was a lot of jealousy in the church, jealousy over people's gifts and jealousy over the different ministries of fellow believers within the church. In fact, people can be jealous for all kinds of reasons, but what jealousy does is it leads to, it leads to resentment, it leads to breakdowns in relationships, it leads, it leads to anger. And Paul says, so love doesn't get jealous. Neither does love boast. It's not about blowing our own trumpets, making ourselves look good. It's not proud. It's not about having an inflated opinion of oneself or or a demeaning opinion of, of, of those people around about us. You know, we, we quite often can cannot have, you know, in a, in a, in a, a way which we, uh, we would automatically think that we have, you know, this inflated opinion of ourselves. But we can certainly look down our noses at those around about us very, very quickly, can't we? Love is not rude, meaning that it acts properly towards others, courteous, treating others with respect. It's not self-seeking or self-centred. In other words, it's prepared to give up willingly and gladly for the sake of others. Even that which we might be entitled to, we give up. Love is not bad-tempered. Love keeps no record of wrongs. How often do we say we forgive someone, but as soon as that person hurts us again, all of a sudden we're bringing back the ammunition from, you know, a little time ago where that person's hurt us before. But when God looks at our sin, he says, you know what? I remove your sins as far away from you as the east is from the west. I remember them no more. We are to keep no record of wrongs. Love doesn't delight in evil, but instead rejoices with the truth. Love celebrates that which is good and true and righteous. Folks, wide open hearts are hearts that love like this. That love like Jesus, that love in this way which Paul speaks about here in 1 Corinthians 13. So what might cause our hearts to become restricted? Well, I'm going to look at four things very, very quickly. And the first is this. The first thing that might cause our hearts to become restricted is spiritual amnesia. Spiritual amnesia. Basically, spiritual amnesia results in a Christian not remembering who they are and how they have been called to live through Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 to 3, Paul writes, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. If you are a follower of Jesus, you have been called to be his child. You have been taken out of the kingdom of darkness and brought into the kingdom of light. You have been rescued. You have been given new clothes, so to speak. Your robes that were, that were filthy as, ra- as rags have been replaced with robes of righteousness, beautiful, clean robes of righteousness in Jesus Christ. And Paul says, walk in a manner worthy. Remember who you are. If 
First Peter chapter, sorry, Second Peter chapter one verses five to nine says, "For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, virtue not with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love." For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. When we walk around in this spiritual state of amnesia or the spiritual state of blindness or whatever you want to call it, we forget about who we are and these kind of qualities that we're supposed to be putting on as Christ followers, they disappear. And our hearts become restricted. But it's not just spiritual amnesia. There's also a fear of getting hurt. Because loving others will always involve a risk. Because loving others means that we place ourselves in a vulnerable situation. We actually open up ourselves, as Paul and Timothy did to the Corinthian church. And of course, the, the risk is, is that that love will not be reciprocated. It will not be shown towards us. And sometimes it'll be the case where we suffer rejection and a lot of pain. I mean, let's face it, folks. Churches aren't immune to this, are they? Not at all. We're not immune to hurting one another, whether it be unintentional or intentional. And I'm sure we probably have all have our own stories, as I said earlier, about the hurt that we've, been, that we've received through people from church. In fact... I think there are countless people living out there in the community today who have, were once were considered to be part of churches but who have walked away because of the hurt that, have been, that they have had caused to them through their interactions with Christians in their lives. But can I say, if we shut ourselves off because of hurt... then we will never, ever have the joy of having that love reciprocated. If our hearts become more and more constricted and restricted, as we become more and more closed and insular, we will never, ever be able to experience the joy of the kind of love that Jesus has planned for us. But of course, if we shut ourselves off too... We need to remember that, uh, that not only do we lose, but the devil wins. There's something to ponder, isn't it? If we restrict our hearts, if we shut ourselves off, then not only do we lose, but the devil wins. He wins in our life. Third one is selfishness. I don't need to uh, go into that at all this morning. I think it's pretty self-explanatory, but it really just talks about you know not looking to our own interests, our own self-interests all the time. And boy, we can be selfish people, can't we? I know I can be so selfish at times. I can be so selfish. 
And I look back and, I, and I'm sometimes amazed at how selfish a person I can be. And I think that we can all be a bit like that. We can actually catch ourselves and thinking, boy, I never knew I was like that. But the reality is, is that we can be. Of course, the other thing that uh, causes our hearts to be restricted is that there was never a true conversion that took place in the first place. There was never, ever a true conversion to Jesus Christ. 1 John chapter 3, verse 14 says, We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. John is saying here, if we love with the love that Jesus has for us and, and the love that Jesus wants us to love others with, then we know that that, that, that can be a real test in our, of, our own, uh, of our own salvation. 1 John 4, 7 says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. But of course, the opposite is, whoever does not love does not know God, right? Has not been born of God. Galatians 5, to 23, Paul speaks about the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Holy Spirit at work in our lives, a demonstration or a, 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 a guide to, to the, 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 uh, the spiritual transformation that is taking place in our lives, albeit sometimes slowly or sometimes you know, in, in broader terms. But he says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, and goes on and on. What causes our hearts to be restricted? By the way, these are not comprehensive, okay? Spiritual amnesia, a fear of getting hurt, selfishness, or the true conversion has not taken place. So let's finish off with how we can cultivate open hearts instead. And the first is this, that we need to meditate on God's love for us. 1 John chapter 4, verse 11 says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. In other words, he's saying, you know what? Think about God's love for us. If God has loved us to this extent and in this way, then surely we should love one another. Surely we should love others. Think about the love God has first and then allow God's love to flow through you. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 just go back in, uh, you know, in the previous chapter. Paul says, For the love of Christ controls us, it compels us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died, and he died for all also that, all who, sorry, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Paul says, you know, we're just so compelled by the love that Christ has for us that he was willing to lay down his life for us, that I'm willing to lay down my life for him and for those people whom he laid his life down for as well. Romans 12.1 in the Living Bible says, And so, dear brothers, I plead with you to give your bodies to God. Let them be a living sacrifice, holy, the kind that he can accept. When you think of what he has done for you, is this too much to ask? When you think of what he has done for you, is it then too much to ask that you would present your body as a living sacrifice to him? Meditate on God's love. And don't be content with your current level of love. That's the second point. 
the Apostle Paul commended the Christians at, at Thessalonica on their love, but then he encouraged them to show their love more and more. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 9 and 10, he says, Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But, he says, we urge you, brothers, do this more and more. You're living out God's love and that's great, but don't rest on your laurels. Keep going. Keep moving forward. Keep you know, building on that love that you have for the people around about you. Do not be content thinking, you know what, I've reached that place here and my love for one another is not too bad, actually. God says, don't leave it there. Keep moving forward. Keep building on that love. Keep widening your heart. And as you open yourself up to God, God will help you to do that. God will actually help you widen up your heart so much that you never thought you had that kind of capacity in your heart in the first place. Thirdly, practice, practice, practice. Practice showing love. Find ways to show love to those around about you. Make it a goal each week to say, I want to show love to someone this week who I may not have shown love to before. But let me say this, that showing love will take time. So make time. Make time to show love. Showing love will take effort. Make the effort to show love. Showing love requires knowledge. So take the time to get to know people in their circumstances so that you might see ways in which you can practically show love to them in their circumstances and their situations. And of course, showing love is an act of the will. So therefore, make that conscious decision to, to do so, to show love. Make it a decision of will in the mind and in the heart. How am I going to do that? Well, some simple ways of this. And maybe when you gather together around morning tea after we uh, finish here this morning for a brief time, you might be able to share with each other how you might be able to show love or some ways which we can show love to those around about us a little bit more. But some simple ways, four very simple ways of this. Make people feel welcome and important. You want an easy way to show love? Make people feel welcome and important. See beyond the faces. See people for people. Keep in touch. Keep in touch throughout the week. You know, one of the things that we do well in Baptist churches is we're creatures of habit. We sit in the same places at church every week, Sunday after Sunday. And we know the people who sit around us, don't we? Don't we? I would hope so. So have a look around you right now thinking, oh, so-and-so isn't here today. Oh, in fact, I haven't seen them for the last couple of weeks. Oh, well. 
Is that showing love? No. What is showing love? Picking up a phone, using the church directory, finding their phone number, ringing them up and saying, hey, you know what? We missed you. We've noticed you haven't been here for the last couple of weeks. You know, is everything okay? How are you going? Is there anything I can be praying for you about? You might even go to that little, even bigger extent and, and sending them a card. Saying, you know what, you're important. And we love you. And we want, to know you, we want you to know that you're missed and that there are people who care for you. Folks, can I say that there are people in this church at the moment who desperately need to know that people care for them? You have no idea of the hurt that just crushes my heart when I hear someone come to me and say, I just don't fit. I am on the outer all the time. And there are people who have been here for a long, long time. Have been, in fact, have been here for years. And have tried and tried and tried to break in, but they have not been able to do that. And so they're no longer here anymore. And oftentimes I'm the one who receives the phone call or who gets the visit from people who say, Duncan, we've got to leave because we're just not loved. It breaks my heart, folks. And it should break every single one of our hearts. To make opportunities for fellowship and for hospitality and most importantly, pray for a heart of love. Pray for a heart of love and pray that your eyes and ears will be open to the needs of people around about you. You may not even be aware of how close those people right are to you right now who are feeling so isolated and are feeling so alone. So let's aim more and more then to have hearts that are wide open, hey? In fact, may we truly be known as followers of Jesus Christ because of our love for him and for one another. And may the words of the Apostle Paul in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 3 be the same words that people say about us, and that is this. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because not only is your faith growing abundantly, but the love that every one of you for one another is also increasing. Wouldn't that be a wonderful testimony about this church? That not only is your faith, your faith growing, but your love for one another is growing increasingly day by day. Let's pray. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we want to um, 
acknowledge that your love for us is a love that is so hard to comprehend because it is a love that goes far beyond any kind of love that this world has ever known and that we have ever known. It's a love that was willing to give everything in order to save us, in order to restore us and bring us into a glorious living relationship with yourself, to know that we have been adopted into your family as children, to know that there is nothing that can separate us from the love that, it is, in, that is in Christ Jesus. And as we embrace it, as we, we come to understand that love deeper and deeper in our hearts and in our lives, the love that you have for us, may that inspire us, may that, challenge, may that challenge us, may that help us, just compel us to want to be people who are known for their love, that same kind of love, a self-sacrificial love a love that is willing to lay down our lives for those around about us. Help us to see beyond the faces. Help us, just to, help us to, to see beyond just the figures of people standing before us. Instead, help us to see beyond to the reality, to their reality, to perhaps the things that are going on in their lives, but most importantly, to the spiritual reality. Help us see with eyes of faith. And may, as you work in us through your Holy Spirit, may we continue to become people who are known for their love for you, first and foremost, but in a practical love for one another. Amen.